All right, so notice verse 10 of Psalms chapter 16. It says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And that verse right there in verse 10, we know without any shadow of a doubt that that is a prophetic verse about Jesus. And it says in Acts 2.22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, I want you to underline that phrase, pains of death. He loosed him from it because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made me... Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, and thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. He is dead and buried. I shouldn't have to preach this. I might touch on this a little next week. David has not resurrected. David, he's both dead and buried. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. And I want to preach today on the harrowing of hell. The harrowing of hell and harrowing... That word means specifically extremely disturbing or distressing, grievous, or a harrowing experience. And Christ's soul in hell, I do believe, was a distressing or a harrowing experience in the uh, literal meaning of that word. I believe that God loosed him from the pains of death. And that phrase is going to have a lot more significance, I think, by the end of this message. God loosed him from that. Because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. And so, one thing that is completely undisputed is about whether or not Jesus went to hell. There's no dispute anywhere about that because the Bible is very clear that he sure enough went there. But what is disputed is what the experience was like. You know, there none would dispute whether he went or not, but there is a dispute about whether it was a harrowing experience. Or not. There are those who teach Jesus actually went to paradise or Abraham's bosom, they will call it. There's those who teach that he suffered the torments of hell for three days. But then there's all, then there's the new version that he was in hell, but it wasn't harrowing or the flames didn't hurt him. And, you know, I don't know where that comes from, but some people teach that. So I want to talk about this subject though, because this doctrine's already been greatly perverted, but it is about to get perverted in a much bigger way. 
I think we could potentially be getting ready to see a generation moving away from this doctrine in a big way, thanks again to a movie. Just like the Thief in the Night movie cemented a perverted image in people's mind of what the return of Christ is going to look like, there is a movie in the works that I believe could very likely change how people look at the harrowing of hell in the biblical sense. And I'm, I'm using that term for a reason, and I'll talk about that. But it's about to be pushed in a bigger way, and that is, you know, Mel Gibson is working on a sequel to The Passion of the Christ that is um, going to be focused on the three days and three nights that Christ was in the heart of the earth or in hell. And so this is something I read from IMDb about it, but it says The Passion of Christ Resurrection is confirmed as a sequel to the 2004 film with Jim Caviezel reprising his role as Jesus. I hope he gets struck by lightning again. All right, But uh, anyway, it aims to continue the narrative and explore the three days between Jesus' death and resurrection. The sequel may be released as a multi-part film, potentially spanning two or three movies. However, the specific release date has not been announced with Easter 2024 being a possible target. The film's focus on the harrowing of hell based on Catholic visions could generate controversy and make it challenging for Gibson to garner the same evangelical support he received for the first movie. So this is where the movie could potentially be very interesting because the harrowing of hell as the Catholics teach okay, is a very entertaining and fascinating story one that has been being preached in Baptist churches for years, and Baptists think they got this from the Bible. And I'll show more next week how they did not get this from the Bible. They got it from the Gospel of Nicodemus. Now, they didn't read it, but they're, they're repeating somebody who got it from the Gospel of Nicodemus. And, and I'll, say, I'll, I'll probably say a lot more about that next week. But I do. I believe this movie is going to be extremely dangerous and deceptive because it will be extremely entertaining if it's done right. Because I am familiar with this story. I've read the Gospel of Nicodemus. I'd love to see... I mean, for carnal purposes, I would greatly enjoy a movie about it. It would be very entertaining, except for the fact it's just not biblical. It absolutely isn't. The Catholic story of what took place during the three days and three nights of Christ's death it's, in, it's, it's entertaining. However, ignorant Christians and dispensationalists will love it. They will love this. And, but the truth is, about this subject is very important because doctrinal errors have consequences. Errors typically lead to other errors, and many people, in order to embrace a beloved error, will often go into damnable heresy. For example, look at what some people have done with the Scriptures just because they want to preach about UFOs and flying saucers and stuff like that. So when people want to teach something, they will do whatever they have to with the scriptures to make it fit. And there's no exception when it comes to this doctrine. But I believe, I do believe in the harrowing of hell because I believe it was a terrible experience, but not like it's going to be depicted in this film. But this is something else that's said on there. In Christian theology, uh, the harrowing of hell is an old English and middle English term referring to the period of time between the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection. In triumphant descent, 
Christ brought salvation to the souls held captive there since the beginning of the world. Christ's descent into the world of the dead is referred to in the Apostles' Creed and the Athanasian Creed, which state that He descended into the underworld. Although neither mention that He liberated the dead, His descent to the underworld is alluded to in the New Testament in 1 Peter 4, 6. No, it's not. Okay, but we'll talk about that next week, which states that the good tidings were proclaimed to the dead. It's not what that's talking about. But anyway, the Catechism of the Catholic notes Ephesians 4, 9, which states that Christ descended into the lower parts of the earth. The Bible does say that, but it doesn't mean what the Catholics say it means and what the dispensationalists say it means. But also, as also supporting this interpretation, these passages in the New Testament have given rise to differing interpretations the herring of hell is commemorated in the liturgical calendar on Holy Saturday. So according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, the story first appears clearly in the Gospel of Nicodemus in a section called the Acts of Pilate, which also appears separately at earlier dates within the Acts of Peter and Paul. The Old Testament view of the afterlife was that all people, when they died, whether righteous or unrighteous, went to Sheol, a dark, still place. Several works from the Second Temple period elaborate the concept of Sheol, dividing it into sections based on the righteous or unrighteousness of those who have died. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but what I just read to you in that paragraph, just understand it was stated as biblical fact. That is not a biblical fact what I just read. It was written as one, but it's absolutely not true. And I'm going to show you where they're making this error. Some of this stuff I'm going to show next week. Okay, This is going to have to be a two-part sermon, but right here is an area where we are seeing evidence of one of the big problems when it comes to the subject of hell. And that is allowing outside sources, cultures, and religions to define hell for us. We can't do that. Okay, As fundamental Baptists, we, we claim the, Baptist, the Bible is what forms our theology. But often, people are allowing other books, other religious beliefs to influence their thinking. I'm going to, I'm going to display how that is done. But anyway, the new, uh, this is, uh, was also uh, something online, but it says the New Testament maintains a distinction between Sheol, the commonplace of the dead, and the eternal destiny of those condemned at final judgment, variously described as Gehenna, the outer darkness, or the lake of eternal fire. In modern times, the harrowing of hell doctrine has been termed the most controversial phrase in the Apostles' Creed and has been removed from some modern versions and translations. And so in the Apostles' Creed or in the Athanasian Creed, when they're saying all these things they believe in, one of the things that they'll say is, talking about Jesus, he descended into hell on the third day he rose again. And so that's been controversial because, again, everybody believes that he went to hell but not everyone agrees with what it was like and what happened when he was there. And so historically, this has been a controversial subject. People are trying to tell me that you know only very small groups of IFB. I had somebody just this week tell me only the new IFB teaches this. And I said, listen, you, and this was somebody who's not in the new IFB, but you, new IFB, and especially former new IFB people, you guys do not get around. Okay, I have been around the Baptist world a lot, and there have always been a variety of opinions, but there's a lot of Baptists who teach this right. I know personally many 
who teach this right, who have zero association with new IFB, but they, they teach this right. I, I know, I know dis, or, uh, I know pro-Israel, pre-trib preachers that preach hard on this fact. And they, they talk about how we don't emphasize this enough. I was in a meeting years ago where I heard three different preachers, none any way connected with new IFB. I mean, they were all teaching the same thing. I mean, I, I grew up here in this. And most people I know are at least open to either. A lot of people just don't have a strong opinion because for sure Jesus went to hell, but they, a lot of people have admitted that the Abraham's bosom doctrine doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So there's a lot of people too that are just kind of on the fence, but it's just, it, it's anybody who says that this is a new IV doctrine has a very small world when it comes to theology. They've not been around. And, uh, and so I think that's just an absolutely ridiculous charge and just shows a lot of ignorance. But in order to understand, uh, well, this, again, this is going to have to be a two-part sermon because next week we're going to get into the more entertaining part of this where we talk about the Catholic depiction that's being preached in Baptist churches. But this week we're going to get the real, we're going to get to the Scripture to lay out a foundation based on the Scripture. Let's let the words of God put an image in our mind. If we want to know how to think about something, shouldn't we let the Scriptures form our thinking on these things? Or are we going to let other things? And if we let the Scriptures form our thinking, it's going to sound a lot like what we preach here. But I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully tonight I can display where people are going into error. And so in order to understand based on Scripture alone what the descent into hell was like, then we must define hell... First, biblically. Now, this is where the Catholics and the Abraham's bosom people go wrong. Okay? The other side, they like to play word games with you after misusing the word hell. Most people are misusing the word hell when they talk about it. And then they use a faulty extra biblical method to define what hell is. Okay? So let's go ahead and in full Ruckmanite fashion, I got my Ruckmanite whiteboard tonight. And so we're going to, I'm going to display some to you. I'm going to write the word hell. And I'm going to write the word hell. Now, can anybody tell me what the difference is between those two words? One is capitalized as a proper noun and the other is not capitalized. It's just a noun. Most of the time when people are talking about hell, they are talking about it as a proper noun, as the name of a place, rather than a noun as a thing, which is what hell is. And did you know, if you were to just look up every mention of hell in the Bible, there's only one place in the Bible where it's capitalized, except for times when it's the first word in a sentence. When it's the first word in a sentence, of course, that's always capitalized. But there's, there's only one time it's capitalized, that's in Revelation 6. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter 6. In verse 8, there is a difference between hell and hell. And what most people are talking about today is hell, not this. I believe that, again, th- this is the hell I want us to focus on right now. But, Revelation 6, 8 says, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and him that sat on him was death, and, and death with a capital D, and hell with a capital H, followed with him, and power was given unto them, 
over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So right here, okay, is where we're going to see where this is. This is the only place in the Bible where hell is used as a proper noun, as the as a name. Okay, and so we're going to see one of the main places where people err in their understanding of hell is we often just think of it as a place, as a location, rather than but a, a thing. Okay, if we want to get real technical with hell, it's a thing. Okay, and it's important that we understand that. Because one of the reasons we have so much confusion in this argument is most of the time when we talk about hell, and we're actually talking about hell. We're actually talking about a place. Most of the time, that's what we're talking about. Okay, and this is where people start revealing what form their thoughts and beliefs. Okay, what, when you think about hell, what formed your thinking? Was it the Bible or was it Something else, because this is how we can start to find out. Because when people try to argue with you about the details of the harrowing of hell, they start defining a location rather than a thing. That's what this this is what they're doing wrong. They're defining hell rather than hell. So understand that. And so... uh, I'll, I'll display this in a little bit too, but when we start defining hell with the capital H, okay, what they end up doing, they use definitions based off Greek mythology. Okay, and I'm going to show you that. That's how, that's how they start defining hell. They're like, let me define hell for you. And they don't go to the scriptures. They go to Greek mythology. That's, and that's where they're making a big mistake. But let's define hell with this small h. Let's define that. But before we do, let me illustrate something to make sure that we are all on the same page. Okay? So suppose I wrote a story about an experience I had going to prison. Okay? And in my, so I write a story about going to prison. Now, prison, is that a capital P? If I say I went to prison, do we capitalize that? Or is that a small p? That's a small p, because prison is just a thing. Okay? It's a, it's a place where they lock you up. But let's say in this story that I wrote about when I went to prison, I said in this prison, it was in San Francisco. It was out on an island and it was where they put all these hardened criminals. It was maximum security. And I described to you Alcatraz. Okay. Now Alcatraz is a prison, is it not? Okay. Alcatraz is the name of that prison. So we would capitalize Alcatraz. But then let's say brother Aaron He writes a story about when he went to prison. Okay, and so we both write a story about going to prison. Does that mean we went to the same place? Because maybe in Aaron's story, he got busted by the government for being a terrorist. And and he's writing about a prison where the government puts terrorists in Cuba, in Guantanamo Bay. It's prison, but what would we call that prison? We would call that prison Gitmo, right? So we both went to prison, but... I'm explaining Alcatraz. He's explaining Gitmo. And it would be wrong for someone to assume that because we both said we went to prison, that we went to the same place. You got to see how I define prison. You got to see how he defines prison. In or, and then we'll find out. Yeah, we're talking about two different places. But we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about prison. Okay. And so when it comes to hell, there is... 
Hell is a thing. There is a hell of the Bible. There is a hell of Greek mythology. There is a hell that the Catholic Church talks about. There's, I'm sure, hell is in all kinds of different religions. Okay? But are they all the same place? Okay? No. Okay? Most, all of them are going to be fake except for the one that the Bible teaches. So understand when people all of a sudden they go and they're defining hell with a capital H based off of Greek mythology. Okay? Then wait, okay, fine. That's what the Greeks taught about hell, but is that what the Bible talks about hell? And, men, and notice in that one thing I read too, it talked about the second temple period. Guess what period that takes us into? The Greek period. And obviously, there was a lot of Greek influence and the New Testament was written in Greek. But understand that while the Greeks talked about hell, it wasn't the same hell that the, that the Jews talked about, that the believers talked about. So to go into just because they're using the same word to assume they're talking about the same thing or the same place is wrong. You can't just assume me and Aaron, because we both say we went to prison, that we went to the same place. You got to look at the details and the details that people are explaining about the harrowing of hell is not something that we find in the scriptures, but it is something that the Catholics taught that you do not find in scriptures. And that is wrong. That is dishonest. If you want to believe that, that's fine. But stop telling people, you got, I got my belief from the Bible. No, you didn't. You stole some from the Catholic Church, too. And, and, and you know what? That guy who's preaching something you don't like, his stuff's coming straight out of the Bible. Where your thinking is coming straight out of the Gospel of Nicodemus. So, that's not fair. If we define the hell of the Bible... We should use the Bible to define it. If I wanted to find the hell of Greek mythology, then I would use Greek mythology to define that. They're both hell, but two different places. Just like Alcatraz and Gitmo are both prison, but they're two different places. And so people who deny what we teach about Jesus going to hell with the small h typically describe in their preaching hell that sounds a lot more like Greek mythology. Okay. They will read you a definition of the word Hades because, like, so you know, here, here are the they like to they like to talk about Hades, and they'll show you they'll show you the Greek word. You know, they'll go to the Greek word, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word Sheol, and then uh, Gehenna is another one. And so they they will talk about all those different Greek words and places, and then. Again, because the Greek New Testament uses those words and the Hebrew uses the word Sheol, it's like all of a sudden now they think it's appropriate to define what these places are by whatever the Greek definition of those words were. But wait a minute, is that what the Bible describes? Okay, We can share words with other religions. We don't mean the same thing. We've got to, it's just like today when you hear people talk about repentance, you know, it's important that you know what they mean by that because people mean different things when they talk about repentance. Sometimes we share words with false religions. Here's the big question. How does the Bible define that word? That's what we've got to stay focused on. It's very important that we do that. And so having said all this, let's take some time to explain what hell 
is not, and uh, also talk about what hell is and where hell is. So let's talk about what hell is. And I'm not talking about this hell. What is this? What is hell? Okay. We all know what prison is, right? Okay. But again, what is Alcatraz? What is Gitmo? What is Sing Sing? I don't know. I don't know the names of that many prisons. Okay. What's the name of the prison over in Thompson? Just the Thompson Federal Prison, you know? I, I I don't know, but they 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 all have names. Okay, there's something they all have in common. You're locked up in all of them, but you got your country club prisons too, where the politicians go, right? You know, and so there there's huge there's huge differences. But let's talk about the thing, hell. Okay, because this is what Jesus went the hell, the thing that the Bible describes. Jesus went there. His soul was not left there. What is that according to scriptures? Well, Revelation 20 verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, watch this, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whatsoever is not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Notice how death and hell are together. Notice how we witness the, the destruction of death and hell. Notice the one place where it was capitalized in the Bible in Revelation. It talks about death and hell being together. Okay? Understand what hell is. Is death okay it's it's not it's not just physical death but spiritual death as well in revelation 21 4 it says and god shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death why because in revelation 20 death and hell are cast in the lake of fire which is the second death at uh first corinthians 15 25 says for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. One of these days, Christ is going to take death and hell and He's going to cast the lake of fire. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean one of these days Jesus is going to perform surgery on the earth and open up earth's core and take it out and throw it into a lake of fire somewhere? Or is He going to take all of the dead that we see in Revelation 21? It says, I saw the dead or in Revelation 20, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The dead. Those who are dead, they go to hell. Understand that? And one of these days, God is going to take all of the dead after they have been resurrected, after the sea gives up the dead, that are, after death and hell, then death and hell are going to be cast in the lake of fire. When all the dead go into that lake of fire, hell goes with them. Why? Because hell and death are one and the same. They are they are together. It is where the dead go. And so we're looking forward to that day when it's destroyed, where we don't have to worry about it anymore. And so let's look at some other passages real quickly showing death and hell together. Psalm eighteen five. The sorrows of hell compassed me. The snares of death prevented me. Psalm fifty five fifteen. Let death seize upon them, let them go down quick into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. Psalm 116, verse 3. 
the sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. And that's another uh, prophetic passage about Jesus, by the way. But verse uh, Proverbs 5.5, 5, Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Proverbs 7.27, Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Isaiah 28.15, Because we have said, because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with hell, are we at agreement? When the overflowing scourge shall pass through it, shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge and under falsehood, for we have hid ourselves. So, without a doubt, Jesus died. Jesus experienced the death that a saved person will never experience. And, I, and we all agree with this, okay? And understand, because... Death is a reference to hell. True death is in hell. They go right together. Okay, and so this is where they make their second mistake. They they cherry pick definitions to fit doctrine and ignore context. Okay? Now, I'm going to make a statement. You all will agree with it here, but I have had people act like they've had a mic drop moment. Like there is an exception in the Bible, and I'm going to show you where they are dead wrong. Okay, but some people that listen to this might not agree with the statement. But, first off, there is none, or there is, there, there is no one who, who is saved. No saved person has ever experienced death and hell. No saved person has ever experienced death and hell. Nowhere in our King James Bible do we ever see a saved person going to death and hell. And I had, I've had two different people tell me, Yes. Yes, there absolutely is. I, I had an extremely arrogant preacher one time. I mean, tell, show me a verse proving somebody who was saved went to hell, which proved to him Abraham's bosom. Because we know this man was saved and he went to hell. Or he was afraid of going to hell. It's like, no, you are misusing scriptures to fit a doctrine. If we let the Bible define itself, you can't do that. So, uh, but here's the thing, and uh, we're not going to take time to go through this, but John 11 is one of the best places where we see them use the word death in like every way in every context possible. In John 11:24, it says, uh, or, well, before we get to that, because, for example, uh, when Lazarus died, Lazarus was dead physically, wasn't he? But what did Jesus say? You know, Jesus said he sleeps. But they didn't understand that. And so what did, then Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So was he sleeping or was he dead? Well, he was physically dead. But at the same time, it was only temporary. That's why as saved people, Paul said, you know, we shall not all sleep. Though he talked about those who sleep in Jesus. They're physically dead, but it's not really appropriate to say that they are dead because the, your true death implies hell. And they're not in hell because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So understand, you, the soul that I am talking to, you will never die if you're saved. Your body will eventually. Eventually, your body will die and it will be put into a grave. But as soon as you die, before your body is cold, you will be with the Lord. You have eternal life. You will, you will never die in that sense. But Jesus died a death of a sinner. He did that 
for us. If we're going to die too, then how did he do it for us? I thought he died a death that we will never have to die. And guess what? He did die a death that we will never have to die. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. And so, um, in Revelation 1.18, Jesus is speaking. <clears throat> he says, I am he that liveth and was dead. Jesus was dead. Well, you know what? After the rapture comes, we could all say that, right? Well, not really. No, we, we, listen, if we have eternal life, we have eternal life. Okay? We're, we're, we're never going to die. But Jesus was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and of death. He has the keys of hell and of death. So again, if hell and death are the same thing, then every reference to Jesus' death is a reference to hell too. Jesus has the keys to both. You know why? Because he went to both. Because it was the same thing. And so, John eleven twenty four, Martha saith unto him, I know that ye shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? So do we believe these words or not? Okay, and don't make me go through all of John chapter 11. I think we all get this here. But Christ, saved people will in fact experience a physical death if the Lord tarries his coming, but you will never have a spiritual death. Before you got saved, you were already spiritually dead and you got spiritually resurrected right then. I think we all understand that. I don't think too many people are going to want to argue with me on this stuff. Here's what I'm here to, here to say. The death that the Bible says for the wages of sin is death, that is not just physical death. It's spiritual death as well. It's hell. Okay? Those who, the wages of sin is death. You will go to hell. That's what we, that's what we teach or we preach when we go to a dark. I don't think anybody's going to dispute that with me. So when people get backed into a corner, though, they do. They start getting cute. They start playing word games. And that's when I just go to John 11. And just so, listen, they use these words in every way possible in John 11. But the context always determines how we define it. And it's always obvious. It is always obvious what the Bible means when it talks about death, when it talks about hell, when it talks about the grave. The context is always obvious. When people are getting back in the corner and losing an argument, they will pull out one verse and say, look how it's used here. And it's just like, um, no, you're, you're not using that right. And so I don't think we need to take time to prove that a saved person will only experience physical death, which will result in a physical grave, but the soul will still go on to live with God in heaven. The soul will never go to the grave. The soul will never go to the grave or hell. And this was also true before the cross. And that's another thing where I'm going to lose, lose some people who listen to this. But people did, in fact, go to heaven before the cross. Luke 20, verse 37. Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he calleth the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, in the God of Jacob, for he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. So if death and hell are together, how can Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who were physically dead during the life of Moses, how can they be alive if they're in hell? It doesn't make any sense. 
Because, too, even when people go to the Abraham's bosom doctrine, they will read passages about the dead. No. Jesus corrected that and said, they are, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. They were living spiritually in heaven. And, and then, too, all the exceptions that even they will admit. You've got Elijah. You've got Enoch, which, by the way, in the Gospel of Nicodemus, Elijah and Enoch are not in heaven. You don't, you don't want to know where they are. They're like... When, so when all, all the saints start ascending out of hell with Jesus, on their way up, there's like a special compartment where they're at. So basically, Elijah and Enoch got taken out of the earth early so they could just go hang out in a special compartment somewhere between heaven and hell. What's this? I'd rather been down there in Abraham's bosom and join everybody else. Those two guys probably got sick of each other. After after a while, I mean that that's just folks that's dumb. Okay, they went to heaven. They went to heaven. Oh, and by the way, there's another exception because they're like, no, Jesus had to go and he had to loose them out of the prison there. Um, how did Moses get out when he was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus hadn't died and risen yet. How did Moses get out of good hell? Okay, so understand, there's there's a lot of exceptions that are out there. How did Samuel get out? Of hell, when he came and spoke to Saul, by the witch at Endor, how did he get out of there? You know, how did how did how did the witch have the power to bring him out? You know, or how did even even if God did, I thought Jesus had to go and die on the cross and do all those things to get him out. He just let so th- there's all these exceptions out there that they have no answer for, and it's just because their doctrine is not true. So uh, Psalms one sixteen fifteen says, "Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints." That's Old Testament. Why is it precious if they're going someplace away from God? No, they were with, they were with the Lord in heaven. So, understand, you will never face death in the grave. Your body will, but you won't. Okay? We preachers have been saying this for years. Whenever there's a funeral and you've got that casket in the front, that's just the house they lived in. This is not the person. They are with the Lord. Isn't that what we preach? They are with the Lord. When your body is laid out, I'll say the same thing about you. That is not brother so-and-so. That is not sister so-and-so. That's just their house that they live in. They are with the Lord in heaven right now. And we have to go take that. We're going to have to take that body and we're going to have to go put it in a grave, which is what we call it. We're going to go bury it because that body is going to corrupt. Because it was a sinful body and it is corruptible. And, it, and we're going to go put it in a cemetery and wait for Jesus to come back and resurrect it. But in the meantime, that person, we believe they are with the Lord. And we have Scripture to prove that. And it was that way before the cross. How they do it? They got in on credit. Okay? I'm not going to preach that again. They got in on credit. They got in on the promises. God wasn't worried about whether or not He was going to come through on His end of the deal. And so, you know, where it gets to... Just the, where it get, things get confusing sometimes... We are not always precise in our language. And the Bible is, is not always precise in its language. It doesn't always use the word in the same way. But at the same time, the Bible never leaves you wondering what it means when it talks about death. And it's actually very clear. Just like we are clear too. Okay, There is a... In a funeral, it, I, will, I've, I know I've done this before and I'll do it again. And everyone will know what I mean. But, you know, when I talk about, you know, brother so-and-so, you know, it was a sad day when he died. At some point in the funeral, I'll probably say that. 
Everybody knows, I mean, he died physically. Later on in that sermon, I might be, you know what? I'm so glad that your brother so-and-so is right now living with the Lord in heaven. It's like, wait a minute, I thought you said he died. I won't even need to correct that. I won't even need to clarify that. Everyone will know. And the Bible does the same thing too. It's just when people want to get ignorant with you, all of a sudden they get really ignorant. And you've got to get really ignorant when it comes to this subject to teach what some people are teaching. So here's what we're going to see through the biggest error. And that is their method. Okay? Their method of appealing to the Greek and the Hebrew. Another very arrogant pastor that got upset with me one time. Uh, he did. He, he kept trying to accuse me of saying, you're not allowed to look at the Greek. You're not allowed to look at... That. That's not what I said. I was criticizing his method in, how, in, in his appeal to the Greek. And let me show you what I mean by that. Okay? So in, in Mark 9, 43, it says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And it goes on... If I foot offend thee and all that, not going to read through all of that. But then what they will do is they will show you now, if if we look up the Greek, we'll see that's talking about Gehenna, right? And they say these things as if it's really profound, as if it changes something. But it's like, that's really, you know, the fact that sometimes it says Gehenna and the fact that it says sometimes says Haiti. Did you know that doesn't confuse me one bit, nor does it, nor is it even that profound because for one, Again, there's a difference between Hades and Hades. And Sheol, that's a small S there, you can't, it might be hard to tell. And Gehenna. Again, these are, these are things, okay? These are, these are problems. There, there's a difference here. And so they like to do it this way, because then they go to their Greek definitions. And they typically, explain Gehenna based on what the Greeks say about it. Or, or you know, Hades, what the Greeks say about it. But wait a minute. Okay, I heard what you just explained. Yes, you read a definition. Yes, in the Greek, it used that word. But what you just defined, I can't find in the Scriptures. But they think, well, no, it is in the Scriptures because the word's there. No. Sometimes we share words with other religions. Sometimes we share words with other groups. If you, what you, if what you just read from that description, if I can't find that description anywhere where that word is used in the Bible or that word is used in the Bible, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It does, it doesn't count. And so, uh, and so let me, I'm going to, I want to illustrate another way too, because it is, it's not unusual for a place or a thing to have more than one word that people call it. Okay. So for example, if I were to decide, you know what, I hate the candidates running for president, I'm running. And I decided I was going to give a political speech. And I said in my, in my political speech, if I am elected president, I am going to make sure that Biden goes to prison. And then later in that, just like me, I will make sure that Biden gets thrown in the slammer. You know, if I am elected president, I will be sure to make sure that Biden ends up in the pen. I'll make sure that Biden ends up in the big house. Okay? I said all of those things. But, again, I'm not a language guy. But suppose another, uh, somebody translated my, uh, my speech. And in that language, they just use the word for prison every time. 
Because all of those words I use, those are all words that we use for prison. Yeah, you got thrown in the slammer, you got thrown in the big house. You know, we've got all kinds of different names for these things. But here's, why do we call it the slammer? Anybody know why we call it the slammer? There's, there's that sound of the, that it makes when they close those bars. You know, so it's still prison, but we, that, that, just that word, it does, it, it, uh, it makes us think of a certain aspect of that prison. In Gehenna, you know what it's usually talking about? Hell, fire. Okay? Because again, hell and death, it is. It just happens to be you're in fire. So sometimes when it's referring to hell and death, it's, you know, it's talking about the fire aspect of it. Sometimes it is more of a reference to the place of the dead. It might use the word like Hades. Or if it's referring to it as like a prison, like Tartarus or something like that. So again, it's still talking about the same thing. You know, the pen. Why do we call it the pen? Well, because they're, they're pinned up. You know, they're, they're, they're pinned in. You know, why do we call it, you know, the big house? Because they're typically very large. You know, so these are, are different aspects, but it's all the same thing. And so in the Bible, it does, it uses different terms like that. But without a doubt, it's the same thing. It's hell. Hell explains all of those things. And so that, that kind of thing happens. But what people are trying to do, they're trying to teach it like it's a whole different thing. And that just doesn't make any sense. In Matthew 16, 18, it says, And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell. And they'll say, that's talking about Hades. Okay. What does that change? Well, you know, you've got to understand what the Greeks... And then they'll tell you what the Greeks believed about Hades. Uh, no. I just think, when it says the gates of hell... I think what he's saying is that death will not prevail over the church. The church will survive. The church will go on. Hey, the church is still alive and well. They sing songs about that. Why? Because the gates of hell have not prevailed. It hasn't died out. You know why? Because death and hell are together. They, 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 go, they go together. In Luke 16, 23, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Aram afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And that also is Hades. Right? And so then, again, they'll, it's just it's the grave, hell, whatever you want to call it. But either way, how are you describing Hades? Are you describing Hades or are you describing Hades? Are you describing something the way the Bible describes Hades or the way the Greeks describe Hades? Are you describing it the way the Catholics describe Hades? So that's my problem when people start appealing to the Greek. I'm not saying you can't look up a Greek word, but I'm saying, okay, fine. They used Hades here. They used Gehenna here. But at the same time, define Gehenna from the Scriptures. Define Hades from the Scriptures, and you're not going to see what these people are describing. You can't find it in the Scriptures. It's just not there. It's absolutely not there. And so then, this is where, too, this is where I had this arrogant preacher show their exception where he said a saved person thought he was going to go to hell. And that's in Genesis 42, 38. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead. This is Jacob speaking. And he is left alone. If mischief befall him, by the way, in which you go, then shall he bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. And if you look that up, you know what you'll see? Sheol. That's what, that's what he said. 
So Jacob thought he was going to Sheol. He thought he was going to hell. That proves that, you know, people in the Old Testament went to, and obviously he didn't go to, he didn't go to the fire. So obviously he went to a good part. But wait, the King James translators use the word grave for a reason. Okay, they use the word, you know, which Sheol, again, you know, Sheol, it means grave. But again, just like we will all go to the grave physically, we will not go all go to the grave spiritually. That will not, that will not happen. So again, Sheol, it's not just a place, it's a thing. It's a grave. Sometimes it's a reference to the physical. Sometimes it's a reference to a place or to the spiritual. But here it's clearly, you know what he's just saying? This news will kill me. That's what he's saying. This news will kill me. And you know what way we might say today? If that happens to me, I'm going to be in the cemetery. You know, why? Because you know, it's going to kill me. It's, just, it's a way we put these things sometimes. It didn't mean Jacob thought he was going to go to hell. To hell with the capital H. To a place of the dead. It just meant I will, this, that news will kill me. Without a doubt, that's what he's describing here. And so it's absolutely ridiculous to act like he was teaching some kind of, you know, this is an example showing somebody thought he was going to go to the place of the dead. No, I will never go to the place where the dead go. I, but I will go to a cemetery one of these days. I, I, will go, I will go to that place. But I will not go to the place that Jesus went in my place. Of. I will not go to where He went for me. And so the truth is, there is a location where those who are dead in a physical and spiritual state go. And we call that hell with a capital H. That's what we call it. We call it that. Hell with a capital, with a capital H. But what does the Bible say about the location? Okay. And while it tells, because while the Bible does tell us where it's located, it never gives it this name. Because again, it's a thing. Death is a thing. Matthew 12, 40 says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's why we know where death and hell is. It's in the heart of the earth. Again, so when death and hell are cast in the lake of fire, is Jesus going to extract the core of the earth from the planet and throw it in the lake of fire? Is that what we think? You know, if there are spots in hell where people, I don't know, where demons poke people with pitchforks and stuff, are those things all going to get taken and thrown into hell? Or is it just referring, again, Are the de- is it a reference to the dead? Those who are in that dead state spiritually is it you know them being cast like a fire is that death and hell that's what i think it is and so uh in ephesians 4 and 9 it says now that he ascended what is it but he also descended jesus here descended first into the lower parts of the earth so uh we do we have references that tell us where the dead go they go into the lower parts of the earth. And I think it's referring to more than six feet down. Especially it says in the heart of the earth. I've had, I've had some people too, when they get backed in the corner on these things, they've tried to tell me that no, inside a grave counts as heart of the earth and lower parts of the earth. Yes. Baptists, especially dispensationalists, when they get backed into a corner, the things that they will do with the scriptures, I've literally had them tell me that. But I, I just don't know what to do at that point.
you know, but anyway, but one day death and hell will be cast into a different location, but it still isn't even giving them a name. It's just a thing. We often refer to the lake of fire. You know, when we talk about the lake of fire, you know, we typically talk about the lake of fire. That's how we talk about it. That's how, that's what's going to be in our charts. That's what we're going to put in books. But the Bible doesn't, doesn't name it that. It just tells us that death and hell are cast into a lake of fire. It, it, it's a thing. That's what it is. It's not necessarily the name of a place. And so, does this mean that God, you know, I don't believe this means God's going to remove the earth's core. So, what we clearly see from the scriptures is that death and hell, it's not just a place, but it's a thing. It's a state of being. We see in the Scriptures that those who are dead are in a place of fire and torment, and that is death. And this is why death is so bad. People, when they die, they have not escaped anything. Not if they're lost. When they die, they are dead, and it's bad. It, is not pe- it isn't peace. And it, is, it isn't just a place. It is death. Death is a bad thing. Death and hell. We don't want to be dead. Okay? That's what everybody's got to get a hold of. It's bad to be dead. Because when you are dead, you are in hell. You don't want to be a prisoner. Because when you are a prisoner, it means you are in prison. That's not supposed to be a pleasant experience. And when you are dead, being dead is a bad thing. For the wages of sin is death. You die. And being dead is very, very bad. And Jesus Christ died for us. He literally died. And His soul was in hell, but it was not left in hell. God loosed Him from the pains of death. And Revelation 14.9 says, And the third angel followed Him, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark on his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of His indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast in His image and who receiveth the mark of His name. There's no rest in hell. There's no rest in death. It is not over. Death is a horrible experience. It is a harrowing experience. And so the Bible clearly teaches us not so much that Jesus went to a place. We don't, we don't see anywhere in the Bible where it talks about Jesus going to hell with a capital H. But the Bible does teach us that He was dead. The Bible does teach us that He was dead for three days. And nobody... Nobody can take their Bible and prove that death and hell is it was any different for him. Death and hell. It's like you know, I, I need more verses to prove that he suffered in hell. Well, I'm sorry that loose the pains of death is not enough for you. Okay? I'm sorry that that's not enough for you. But how about every time it talks about him being dead? How about in Revelation it says, "I am he that was dead." I I personally every time. It mentions his death. When you go, it says the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. Every time it mentions his death, it mentions, to me, that's mentioning him being in hell. Because hell is the state of death. That's what it is. It's not just a, a location. 
That's not what it is. It does happen to be in a place, but that's not what the Bible is describing. If the Bible described it as a, a place with a capital letter and a proper noun, then they would give that, that definition of it somewhere. But it, it, it's explaining a thing. And you can't find one verse in all the scriptures where hell is ever anything but fire and torment and, and death. That's, that's absolutely what it is. And so I believe it is very dangerous and unfair and it is adding to the scriptures to act like Christ's three days in hell wasn't something bad or especially that it was paradise for him. It was, it was a harrowing experience. But next week we'll see what happens when we let the words of God form our thoughts versus what, what the words of man when it forms our thoughts. And the words of man are what are forming people's thoughts on these things. And so I showed you what death is. I, th- I think we all understand what death is. And I think we all understand what hell is. And Jesus was dead. And he was dead for three days. And that's plenty. we got plenty of Bible on that right there. And so it, many people will listen to this and they will still insist their fairy tales are correct and accurate. But I'm going to show exactly where that comes from. And then, and again, they have their proof texts. They have what they, what they do, they've heard a story or read a story somewhere else. And they're like, that sounds good. Just like Mel Gibson, if he does a good job with this movie, people are going to love that story because it's going to be exciting. It's an exciting story. It's not in the scriptures, but it's still a good story. Okay. Superman's a cool story, but it's not, it's not real. Okay. Batman. Cool story. Not real. But people, they've looked at that story like, man, I wish that was true. And they've gone and they've twisted scriptures into teaching that story. And all we got to do is look at what those scriptures are actually teaching. And then you, and when you're like, wow, that's not even close to what the Bible or what these people are saying about it, then you're going to be like, where did they come up with that idea? And it's from Catholic books. That's where it came from. So we'll show that next week. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what you did for us, Lord, and uh, what you did on this earth, what you did in hell, what you did in heaven. Lord, what you are still doing for us. Uh, we owe everything to you. Help us not to make light of anything that you did. It was all necessary. It, it all mattered. And we thank you for every bit of it. We thank you that it is, it is done. We thank you that uh, we are secure. And I just pray, Lord, if anybody got anything from this, help us to just be motivated to let the words of, your, of the Scripture form our thinking and not the words of man. Help us to learn to uh, understand where our thoughts are coming from and to make sure uh, that we let your word trump anything else that we hear. In your name we pray. Amen.